630 Chad Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins. Weekdays at 6 on 630 Chad. Well, we have some news about hockey games being played in our province, which is kind of cool to be talking about that. The Alberta Junior Hockey League, as I referenced on the show earlier this week, will indeed start on November 13th. They have not yet put out the schedule, but they are going to go on November 13th. The North Division will stay inside the North. The South Division will just play other South teams, so we'll keep an eye on that as more details come out, but they are good to go. And I'll talk more about this a little bit later on on the show, but I can also tell you that the U of A Golden Bears are going to be in action. Now, of course, this is all pending how the pandemic goes, but right now the plan is for the U of A Golden Bears to play the Canadian World Junior team as part of the World Junior Selection Camp in Red Deer. The games would be November 28th and 29th, and they would be nationally broadcast on TSN. So in a year in which the Golden Bears are playing no games against university competition that counts, there's no Canada West season, there's no University Cup, the Golden Bears will have as many games on national television as they would have in a year where they went all the way to the national final because usually the semifinal and the final are, are the games on national TV. Now, uh, no formal announcement from Hockey Canada, but I've confirmed this with several sources here uh, in Alberta and the Canadian selection camp roster will then play uh, subsequent weekends as well against Mount Royal and the University of Calgary. The, the Hockey Canada announced that they would be playing a U-Sports uh, all-star team. Of course, that's not practical to send a U-Sports all-star team out here. I've learned that the games will indeed be against the Golden Bears, the Dinos, and the Cougars. We'll elaborate on that as we go along tonight. Hey, thanks a lot for tuning in. There's also news out of the Ontario Hockey League, so to touch on that and uh, a few other things, I'm pleased to welcome back to the show a former Edmonton Oiler, now the president of the Hamilton Bulldogs in the OHL, Steve Steos. Steve, you're on with Reed. How are you doing, sir? Hey, doing well, Reed. How are you? Well, I'm doing very well, Steve. It's always a pleasure to have you on the show. We usually get to catch up with you once or twice a year, and we do want to talk about what's going on in the OHL. But, man, I think you you know where I want to start and spend a few minutes with you. Such an outpouring this week for Joey Moss, who passed away on Monday, an absolute legend here in Edmonton and, heck, I think across the country. How would you sum up your relationship with Joey? What an experience it must have been knowing him. Uh, I don't really know where to start with you. I mean, uh, I think from the first moment I got came to Edmonton, um, just in general, feeling part of the Edmonton Oilers organization was uh, was special and, and welcoming. Um, and that's from the players and the staff in the entire city. But uh, uh, Joey was, you know, I played over 500 games with the Oilers, and uh, he was... He was, part, he was my teammate for all of them, and uh, that's how we considered him. And he was a, a special guy to all of us. It's amazing because, uh, you know, everybody's doing their own thing. And, you know, I've been able to catch up a bunch of teammates and staff that I uh, haven't talked to from a long time ago in Edmonton. And uh, uh, certainly, you know, very sad. But also, Joey brought us together. And uh, that's really what I remember about him. I mean, he was quick for a hug in the morning um but he was also quick to uh give you a jolt and uh you know make sure that you're uh you know prepared for games and stuff like that as well so really sad but also um such a incredible guy that brought an entire group together for years and years the other thing i'll say to that reed is that 
when I came, obviously, you know, Gretz and in, in, in that group, and I had a chance to speak to Paul Coffey on the weekend, but uh, had brought Joey in initially. And then uh, since then, it was, you know, that next generation of Oilers with Doug Wade and Bill Guerin, that leadership group. And then, you know, Jason Smith and myself and Ethan and that group. And it just seemed like, and then it moved on to Sam Gagne and Andrew Cogliano, but everybody, you know, brought, uh, Joey into their families and we'd all have more for dinner and the young guys would bring them bowling and things like that but that was incredible how you just over all generations how much we appreciated uh, uh, our relationship with Joey and how big of a part of a team he was for us. Well that is part of the amazing one of the many amazing things about Joey is you know he, his longevity he outlasted pretty much everybody in terms of how long he was with the organization now a couple of things Steve I've heard a lot about the wrestling matches Gagne told the story yesterday on a zoom call that he was actually you know nervous about taking on Joey <laughs> did, did you ever get roped into a wrestling match with Joey uh, no, I, I knew better. Uh, Joey was <laughs> much stronger than his stature would have, would make him appear to be. He was, uh, and the same passion he had when he was singing the national anthem, and the same passion he went about when we won games, and the same disappointment he felt uh, in those emotions when we lost. Uh, he brought that to the wrestling ring as well. So certainly, uh, he was uh, he was quite a guy. But I never got in there with him. Thankfully, he took on much bigger opponents and uh, held his own. Yeah. What about getting to know him? Because I have had a couple of guys tell me, and I've, you've heard, I've heard so many stories this week that, you know, maybe at, at first they, they didn't know Joey. They, they weren't sure about his, uh, his role and they had to get to know him and they had to understand that um, there was a certain amount of banter in, in, that Joey was comfortable with <laughs> that, that might've been shocking at first, but Joey was totally on board with it. Oh yeah, like he? Are you kidding me? This guy, he he invited it. I mean, for for me, he was always uh, one of those teammates that was uh, a little bit almost egged on, a little bit confrontational, and was quick to give it back. So, uh, you know, it's interesting with jo- with Joey's condition or whatever you you know, like when we first met him or you first walk in the room, you think, uh, you know, you're, you maybe maybe a little hesitant, and then about an hour later, at least by the next day. Uh, he's part of our team, and uh, he just, we just treated him just like everybody else, which was, you know, humbling and uh, uh, so enjoyable, and really just we just very feel very fortunate that uh, I was been be able to part of the team with him for as long as I was. Well, in 2006 was such a special time as well, and I, I Fernando was on the other night saying how he got to travel with you guys. I know as an athlete, you you, you know you're focused so intensely in the playoffs and, and there's so much going on, but anything about uh, Joey during that, that run to the cup final really stand out for you? Uh, not, not in particular, just on the cup run, because to me, he was always just uh, there and part of it. But when he was traveling with, it was special knowing that he was with us on the road and part of it. But it was funny because I read something that Gretz was taught, you know, said in an article about Joey and how, uh, you know, Joey would sit with Gretz after a game, after a loss, and sort of tap on the shoulder and be like, you know, it's okay, you know, we'll win the next game. Um, and I don't know if things have changed or, or Joey get, got a little more confident, but when we would lose a game, I would be the one consoling him. And uh, I remember Joey's advice all the time. I'd say, you know what, Joey, it's okay. We'll, we'll, you know, It was me giving him advice, saying, let's we'll win the next game. We tried tonight. And uh, we'll win the next game. And Joey's advice to me always, we look me in the eye and point his finger at me and say, you need to try harder. 
<laughs> so he was uh, kind of the guy that uh, would motivate us and push us to be better. Yeah, well said. Well, thanks for sharing that, Steve. It's been pretty, it's been pretty heartwarming all week hearing the stories about Joey. Just, just an incredible figure in our in our city for sure. Okay, I'll ask you to put on your OHL hat with the Hamilton Bulldogs, uh, February fourth. And you can correct me if I if I if I missed any of this. February fourth, forty games, uh, only eight teams making the playoffs. Kind of, can you take us through uh, the OHL arriving at this plan? And uh, obviously, there were many, many things to consider, and I'm sure numerous options for how you were going to pull off a season. Well, yeah, Reed, like like everybody else dealing with this, it's fluid, and you kind of read and react. And I, you know, I'm so encouraged with the amount of work that's been done by, you know, our OHL front office commissioner branch and the rest of the group on trying to figure out a solution. And uh, I think everybody's trying to. Uh, you make the best of this situation, uh, which has very, been very challenging right from the beginning. Um, you know, and I think uh, we have a little bit of a runway here to make make sure that we're prepared. And, uh, you know, where there's a return to play protocol that we'll be held accountable to to make sure. Like the player safety is obviously at the forefront here. Um, and, uh, you know, I think the players, when I speak to them, are a little bit disappointed. Uh, but mostly understanding, and uh, we'll make the best of the situation. And, uh, you know, it coincides with the World Juniors for import players to be able to join us in quarantine, uh, or, you know, if they're already quarantined, if they're part of the World Juniors, or if not, come in and have the two weeks to make sure that they're prepared for training camp and have our players come in in January and uh, get ready for a season, which will be a little bit of a sprint, really, with 40 games. And, uh more intensity when you look at uh, only eight teams making the playoffs but certainly enough time for our players and the development of our players is at the forefront and the 40 games is a substantial amount of time and uh, we'll do the best with the, the situation but certainly a lot of planning has been done you know across the CHL and I think there's have been different uh, approaches to this all and across different industries as well but certainly we're, we're encouraged to be uh, prepared for uh, our February 4th start date. Obviously, there's one of the unknowns is is fans. Will they be there? Will they not be there? Will there be partial fans? Junior hockey needs uh, fans in the seats. Can you can you touch on the, those challenges for the Bulldogs? Uh, yeah, of course. We're gate revenue generating type of business um that would be a challenge um who knows Reed? like i think all of us I, I, what i've tried not to do is uh, uh make any predictions or project what uh a week might look like or a month might now look like uh, or how it might look like two or three months from now so um we're hoping for the best and uh, i think what the owners and uh uh, the general manager prepared to do is make the best of the situation, whatever it might look like. And uh, can we introduce fans at some point? Is it at the beginning? Really, it's uh, it's unknown. And uh, we'll try and make the best of the situation as it as it presents itself. All right, Memorial Cup. No, no, is this right? It's either going to be Oshawa or Sault Ste. Marie, and and if so, when and how is that decision made? Uh, well, it's part of the bid process, and it's in Ontario okay. this year. And, you know, we were part of the bid process in uh, 2017 when we uh, went through it. it we, we were not successful. It was the 100th anniversary of the Memorial Cup, and it was in Regina. And uh, we were fortunate enough to 
win the OHL and uh, qualify to play in that tournament. And uh, what a you know what a great event that was. So we're looking forward to that. But it's uh, the bid process has obviously been delayed, and we're waiting to hear if it's going to be Oshawa or Sault Ste. Marie. But uh, we know that with both those organizations, that whomever uh, is awarded the tournament, that they'll do a fantastic job. Okay, I just I just want to double check if maybe it wasn't changed to whichever team is doing better on a certain date or something like that. So it is still okay. It is still going ahead with the, the bid process, right? Steve, but, but, but yeah, I'll add to that though, Reed. It's a good question. But with part of the bid process is you have to present that you have a team that that uh, is uh, uh, strong enough that that you know uh, they will be in a, a playoff team or and a team that can contend. So that is certainly part of the process. Okay. Awesome. I'll throw one more at you. Uh, I, I assume you watched at least some of the NHL playoffs, if not every second. One of the themes, and I've been talking about a lot on, on this show, is uh, McCarr, Hughes, Haskinen, you know, uh, Hedman's a little older. But man, oh man, there are some defensemen. Like, I, I think the position has even evolved and the skill level and the speed has jumped forward since you played. Uh, without a doubt. <laughs> I mean, uh, uh, you know, the greatest to ever play, uh, and it's all generational. I, you know, I wasn't really, you know, uh, involved enough in hockey when Bobby Orr was playing, but Paul Coffey was the guy, and he was the one, for me, who transformed the game from the back end and his ability to get up and down the ice. Now you're seeing it, uh, you know, at least there's one player on each team who has those types of abilities and uh, man is it exciting and with the rules and the, the, the speed of the game um, you know four men on the attack it's just a pleasure to watch we watch Quinn Hughes grow up in our area here play minor hockey uh, you know you watch McCarr get around the ice and their ability to make plays it's just something special and uh, you know by the way, there's a couple of great ones coming up, uh, uh, you know, in the in the system in Edmonton with, uh, you know, Philip Broberg and Evan Bouchard, uh, offensive-minded type of players as well. So, uh, Evan, uh, sorry, Evan Bouchard was part of the Ontario Hockey League and part of my World Junior team and a uh, great kid and, and uh, going to be an incredible pro. And Philip Broberg was someone we drafted in the import draft uh, with the Hamilton Bulldogs. And, Unfortunately, we didn't get a chance to see him here in Hamilton, but uh, man, is it exciting just to watch how it's evolved and what a, what a credit to the players and the organizations and the, in the National Hockey League in general to be able to pull off what was an incredible playoff um, and uh, for the fans to be able to continue to watch and uh, you know, for them to, 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 to have a Stanley Cup winner in a year with uh, obviously plenty of challenges. Yeah. Steve, it's always a pleasure to have you on the show. Thanks for giving us the update on the OHL. You know, the, the WHL is hoping for January. I was mentioning the AJ off the top, so it's nice. The plans are in motion to, to get hockey back. And, of course, we really appreciate your memories of Joey Moss. All the best with the Bulldogs. Hope you and your family are doing well. I really appreciate it, Reed. All the best to you, too. That is Steve Stales checking in tonight, man. Love talking to him, really knows his stuff. And yeah, love Joey Moss. And he gave you the update on the uh, OHL shortened season, 40 games. They're going to try to go February 4th to May 8th. Just eight teams will uh, qualify for the postseason down from the usual 16. Thanks a lot for tuning in tonight. We got a lot of good stuff coming up. I'm happy to hear from you. 780-496-0063 is the number to call or text. Harner Ryan Singh's going to check in and we'll spend the last hour of the show 
with a guy. It's his last day tomorrow. He's retiring. The uh, original host of Inside Sports, Sports, Sid Smith, will be on from 7 to 8. Atlanta and Carolina, just a couple minutes into the game. No score. We'll keep you updated. Falcons coming in at 1-6. and six. Carolina trying to stay alive in the playoff race. They are at 3 and four so uh ajhl back on november 13th u of a golden bears hockey team scheduled to play team canada the junior team as part of the junior team selection camp in red deer on november 28th and 29th the games would be broadcast nationally on tsn ajhl to return november 13th we'll go into a little more detail on this as we move along tonight harner ryan singh awesome guy from hockey night in canada punjabi he's written a book He'll give us the details when we get back. we have to play that the classic call from the 2016 stanley cup final harner ryan singh hockey night punjabi with the call and that's one of the reasons he is in the spotlight or got was in the spotlight at that time but many more since then because he's an outstanding broadcaster he's a proud albertan and now he's an author as well and we welcome harner ryan back to inside sports harner ryan sir you're on with reed how have you been man Doing well, Reed. Thanks for having me. Appreciate it. Yeah, it's it's good to have you on the show. Now you did get to uh, you you were working some playoffs during the uh, the pandemic, so I know usually we're we're into the regular season here. But uh, how have you been keeping busy? How did you enjoy the playoff stuff? The playoffs were such a thrill to be a part of, Reed. Uh, I mean, you know, first and foremost, as you mentioned, uh, being an Albertan, to have uh, Edmonton be a uh, one of the hub cities was was fantastic, and then I was fortunate enough to be asked by Sportsnet to be a part of it. And it, it was, you know, at first it was kind of eerie because of the fact that, uh, you know, there was such few people inside the arena, and it took a little bit to get used to not having fans there. But a remarkable feat that the NHL was able to pull that off with such few people. And, uh, you know, it's kind of the, the crazy thing is, like, if you want to escape COVID, the NHL bubble is a, it was a good place to be. No, were you, were you like within the bubble or were you one of the broadcasters that you went into the rink, but you weren't considered part of the bubble? How did it work for you? Yeah, it, I was a part of the broadcast uh, community where we were, uh, had our own separate entrances and uh, separate elevators and, uh, you know, totally separate area from the players, but we were able to leave the arena. And so it was, was kind of like a, an, an outer bubble, you could say. And, um, you know, but it was it was kind of interesting because I was there with Louis DeBrusque and Chris Cuthbert for a lot of the playoffs. And so many times it just felt like the games were being played for just the three of us. And it's it's so different than what we were used to. And, of course, uh, the Oilers, you know, uh, as you guys have probably talked about, and uh, it's like beating a dead horse, but the the qualifying round, it's unfortunate that they weren't able to get past those 
Blackhawks, who kind of surprised everyone. Um, but, uh, yeah, it was still nonetheless a great experience and a lot of Canadian content with, with the Flames and the Vancouver Canucks obviously doing uh, real well. Yeah, well, you did great work. I, I always enjoy uh, watching your, or hearing your stuff. Regardless, well, well, let me ask you this. I don't know if I've ever asked this before. Of, of all your broadcast work, how much is in Punjabi and how much is in English percentage-wise? Could you even quantify it? Uh, it changes year to year. I mean, even uh, in this scenario, I, you know, I wasn't aware. I don't think the NHL or Sportsnet or anyone was aware of how many people would be allowed into the into the bubble or into the arena, for that matter. And so it kind of came together really quick uh, in in terms of having hosts there. But um, in terms of uh, Punjabi play by play being my forte and. You know, I'm hitting close to 800 games with 13 seasons with Hockey Night Punjabi, and that's that's kind of been the bulk of what I've done. But then since that ben- the Benino call that you played at the beginning, since then I've I've been fortunate enough to have a little bit of a foray onto uh, the English side in that host role. But that's been that's been certainly less than the the bulk of it has been the play-by-play for Hockey Night Punjabi. Okay. Well, uh, we love hearing you whenever there's uh obviously I'm not watching the games in that language because I would I would miss it most of it, but I, I love when there's a highlight or something of, of you on air for sure. Okay. So, uh you wrote a book. I mean, you're just doing so much stuff one game at a time. First of all, just tell us about sort of the idea for the book and thinking, okay, maybe I actually have enough. Was it you? Did someone give you a kick in the pants and say, "Hey man, you got to do this?" Tell me about that. Yeah, you know, I was very fortunate to have the publishing company, McClellan and & Stewart, and they are a, a division of Penguin Random House, so one of the bigger publishers in North America, and they came and approached me for uh, the idea of writing a book to and to tell my story and my journey. And, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a hockey book, but it's not just for hockey fans. I would say it's kind of everything the world's needing right now with a, a positive message of diversity through the lens of a hockey broadcaster. And you know my story um it's it's crazy because when you go through uh, everything you experience in your life you don't really necessarily realize that it's going to at some point resonate with others or you know other people will be able to find parallels but that's really what has happened and i would say my childhood dream to be a hockey broadcaster but constantly be told that it wouldn't be possible because of how i looked and because of the lack of diversity on tv and then persevering through you know through that cautionary tale to eventually paying for my flights and and everything in between and making it kind of happen that that story and and the story of i would say the parallels with that that other canadians um feel uh, that they've gone through especially if you're a person of color is that hockey really is that uh unifying force in canada that it is what helps you fit in and and Reed, I, and we've probably talked about this before but my my childhood you know had it not been for hockey uh it probably would have been completely and drastically different for me it, hockey was the icebreaker it helped me create friendship amongst my classmates and you know me being in a small town in brooks alberta where i grew up and being very different from all of my classmates i was the subject of curiosity and hockey is what helped me fit in well, I'm glad you brought that up, Harner Ryan, because we obviously went through a lot of talk about um, about racism and diversity and inclusion, and certainly inclusion is a relevant story 
this week with how Joey Moss, you know, despite being different, was given an opportunity with the Oilers, then with the double E, and he took it and made an incredible life out of it. So, so I'm glad that you're talking about it in those words because I'll be honest with you, sometimes I will have – um, you know, a listener or, or a caller say like, oh, well, I, well, I don't want to hear this. this. This shouldn't be on a sports show. I, I don't care about, uh, uh, you know, if, if somebody was uh, was discriminated against or wasn't allowed to do something. Social issues don't belong in sports. But I think you've made a good summary of why they, sh- they do belong in sports and how it helped you become a, a part of a bigger community. Yeah, definitely, and and you see that with the story of of Joey Moss, and just even the the tremendous amount of uh, condolences, and just the hockey community overall. Basically, anybody who had contact with him, and uh, you know, he he left a lasting impression and such a positive one. And there's there's so many ways to go about answering that question, uh, Reed. I, I've get, I've gotten that too on my social media too. That you know, there's certain people out there who don't want. Uh, to be marrying politics with hockey. This is my opinion. It's not politics at all. This is talking about a basic human right of respect for one another. And I think that, you know, um, for us to have progress as society, we need to be able to have compassion for one another. And, and And part of that is listening to each other's experiences. I mean, I've, I've experienced so many different um, traumatic moments, even within the hockey world, the sports world in Canada, or just walking on the street and, you know, where people, um, uh, you know, the comments go back to where you came from, or even well-intentioned comments of welcome to Canada, where someone assumes because I have a turban and a beard that I'm new here, whereas I'm such a patriotic Canadian. I love hockey. I love this country. And so, you know, those types of words, they, they hurt and they probably hurt me more than the average person because of the fact that I'm so passionate about hockey and, and about Canada. And so having to, you know, I think that if I'm if I'm able to, you know, through the book or through, you know, this conversation with you, uh, able to provide that perspective to someone, um, you know, I, I think that's really important for us to be able to realize what we as Canadians have gone through and you know what we need to do to to make sure that uh, we continue to progress with respect for people who are different um in the future yeah well well said for sure harner ryan singh joining us tonight on inside sports again the new book one game at a time and whenever there's books out in this time of the year i always remind people christmas is coming too if they're not interested themselves maybe some but they don't right um so is there something, as a bit of a teaser here, Harner Ryan, I, I know you want people to grab the book. Is there a, uh, a funny, emotional uh, story you want to give us a tidbit of or, uh, or a little bit of teaser out of the book to entice people? Yeah, well, you know, I mean, um, one of the chapters is called Wayne's World, and it's about my um, obsession with Wayne Gretzky in the years in in Alberta when I grew up when uh, the Oilers were in their dynasty and just the extent that my family and I went to in terms of um, the obsession with Gretzky was so strong. Like, I'll give you an example where my my parents being of the sick faith and we, you know, we're turban wearing and, a fa- you know, a family that practices, tries to practice their faith and still be Canadian. And my parents celebrated my siblings and I our birthdays with, they made this special sweet pudding and would do, would do a prayer on our birthdays. And I'm a, I'm a kid in Brooks, Alberta, watching the Oilers dynasty. And I'm just, you know, infatuated with Gretzky and, 
and following the Oilers so closely. And January 26th comes along, and I'm in elementary school, and I go up to my mom in the kitchen, and I say, hey, mom, it's Gretzky's birthday. Can we... Can we make the prashad, the sweet pudding that you guys make for our birthdays and do the prayer? And, you know, lo and behold, he didn't know till I, I was able to share with him many, many years later. But we were we were there praying for Gretzky on his birthday and they were my parents were such good sports about it. And just just the extent that we went to to, you know, fuel the passion for hockey and everything. There's some really fun stories about that. And, and then eventually, you know, getting into the broadcast world, um, you know, some some fun stories about Bob Cole, who also called so many great Oiler moments and Stanley Cup finals. And I, I remember the game when, when Bob Cole came and the Oilers had him come out for the last game ever at at Rexall Place, or uh, formerly known as Northlands Coliseum in the in the heyday. So there's actually quite a bit of an Edmonton um, and Alberta connection, um, even stories about current players like McDavid and things as well. And uh, so a lot a lot uh, kind of fit in there. But also also the story of uh, you know my community, how Hockey Night Punjabi began, uh, my family coming to Canada. So it's a it's a mix of everything, but. I think uh, you know. For the, uh, I'm very fortunate to say that the feedback has really been great. So I'm really lucky that way. Yeah, that that is awesome. I, I always ask this too when someone writes a book, um, because I think that's one of the coolest things that that somebody could ever do. I'm curious about your process for writing it because you you got to do it. I mean, my my buddy Jay wrote a couple of books, and mm-hmm. he would take his laptop to a coffee shop. Uh, uh, every morning and sit there for an hour and make sure he got in a, a word count. Uh, you know, Ken Reed obviously has written several books and, and he kind of has come up with a system. What did you do to stay disciplined and make sure you were on schedule? Yeah, well, I'm a talker, as you can tell. And, uh, you know, uh, my my wife and my family often tell me I'm providing too many details and the stories are a little too lengthy. So it was easy for me to um, get things down by talking them out. And another Alberta connection is uh, Michael Hingston, who lives in Edmonton, and he's written a few books. Um, he's also got some Edmontonia uh, cards about Edmonton out there as well and um, he he uh, helped me as a co-writer to try to figure out okay how are we going to put this in what order and uh, because of his experience writing books so it was great to have a co-writer along but the process for me was kind of just talking about anything and everything that I could about my journey and, and my life and then the stories of, of uh, along the career so far that I remember and then figuring out kind of with him which ones we we felt we wanted to focus on more or less and, and go from there. But uh, it's quite the process. I mean, this is something that we began two to three years ago and uh you know here we are it just came out this fall so books are it's quite the uh it's quite the process to and it takes a while but it's you know it's definitely well worth it and i mean we we also had to go back to kind of um a lot changed in since 2018 till now uh just given you touched on it in the world of sports uh with the with racism we you know we had incidents with don cherry there's there's been so much that's gone on in the world so we we actually did go back at it a few times uh with after completing a manuscript just kind of touch on some of the issues as well it is one game at a time you can find it wherever you get your books of course you can order it wherever you order your books if you do that and the cover is you right they'll get everybody gets to see you 
That's right. And uh, I also play some South Asian instruments, and the back covers me on, on the ice in a hockey ring, sitting in front of a hockey net, too. So that it was special to be able to kind of marry uh, those two things together. But yeah, it's really about hockey's power to unite. And, uh, you know, some fun stories of a hockey themed wedding with a wedding cake that was a life size Stanley Cup and, and some nice pictures in there as well. So, I, you know, I think, I think hockey fans of all ages will really enjoy it. Harvey Ryan, you have a great story. You're a great storyteller, whether it's in the book or when you come on Inside Sports. Of course, we will have you on down the road, but enjoy the time with your family. Thank you so much for checking in tonight. My pleasure, Reed. Thanks. That is Harner Ryan Singh, Hockey Night in Canada. Punjabi grew up in Brooks, Alberta, cheering for the Oilers. One game at a time is uh, the book. He's a great guy, great inspiration, and like I said, just an awesome storyteller. Love having him on. It is 648. It's Inside Sports on 630 Chat. Appreciate you tuning in tonight. Four and a half minutes left in the first quarter. Carolina leading Atlanta in the National Football League. Great to have Harner Ryan sing on the show. The book is one game at a time. He's got an awesome story. He's an awesome storyteller. I look forward to uh, reading that one. Mark in the Deer has texted in tonight who says, uh, what's your take on the Coyotes renouncing their pick of Miller? So you've probably seen this story. The Arizona Coyotes selected Mitchell Miller in the fourth round of the draft earlier this month. Um, he was, uh, involved in, well, he wasn't, I mean, he did it. Uh, he was, he bullied a classmate, a black classmate with developmental disabilities in Sylvania, Ohio. Um, so yeah, I mean, this was a, it's pretty ugly. If you've read about, uh, the details, I'm not going to go into all of them here, but, uh, bullying and, and racism involved, so this was uh, a really bad thing that that Mitch Miller did. Yeah, I, I mean, my take on it, uh, Mark, I, I, they probably didn't have a choice. I, I, I wonder why they selected him to begin with. I, I mean, they were aware of his history. Apparently, most teams in the National Hockey League were. I, I am also of the belief that you know, people deserve a second chance depending on, on what they did and when they did it. Uh, maybe you don't deserve a third chance. I, I don't think that this, that, that Miller should, you know, never have an opportunity to play hockey at a higher level again. Um, just because he's something he did as a teenager, regardless of, of how despicable it was. But, you know, again, if you're the coyotes, um, he's a fourth round pick. So he's obviously not somebody who's, I mean, he's a, he's a prospect, but he's not a top 20 or a top 10 type guy. So you wonder why why they made the pick, and if they did make the pick, why they didn't handle it at the time. I mean, what's the, the one thing you hear about people in the world of public relations and media relations? Well, we got to get ahead of the story. Maybe that's something they could have done so it doesn't come out three weeks after the draft. But, I mean, what he did isn't excusable. Um, I, I would think that even as a teenager, he probably should have known better uh I, I mean yeah sure youth and ignorance can be an excuse 
to an extent, but, but this, this was pretty ugly, um, what he'd accused of. And I, and I guess part of the, the, the problem here is that he never really apologized to, uh, to the young man who was the victim in this situation. So I, I don't know if I answered your question, Mark. I, I'm curious to know what uh, you think as well. If, if you just want to text me, I, I don't necessarily have to read it on air, but since you asked me, I'd, I'd be curious to know uh, what you think as well. That's yeah. yeah I mean, it's, it's tough. Again, I, I, I hope we're, we're not now living in a world where um, one mistake means that you can never pursue anything that you want to do with your life. Um, but I, I, I think that we have to acknowledge that what Mitch Miller did, even as a teenager, was, it was pretty disgusting and quite mean-spirited, to be frank. Some other news to tell you about today. The Dallas Stars removing the interb tag from Rick Bonus, who coached in the Stanley Cup final. 65-year-old bonus is the Stars' 24th head coach. Of course, Jim Montgomery was fired during the season, later went into alcohol rehab. can also tell you, the NHL says an independent investigation has cleared former Panthers GM Dale Talon of any wrongdoing. The league had received an anonymous report that he made inappropriate racial, religious, and ethnic comments while the uh, while with the Panthers. The NHL says after the investigation, the claims were not substantiated. Patrick Maroon, former Edmonton Oiler, re-signing with the Tampa Bay Lightning. He gets a two-year deal worth $1.8 million. And Tony La Russa, one of the greatest managers of all time in Major League Baseball, is back at the age of 76. He's returning to manage the Chicago White Sox 34 years after they fired him. Don't forget, he went on to win a World Series with Oakland and two more with St. Louis. Larusa becomes the oldest manager in the majors by five years. Houston's Dusty Baker is 71. All right. 780-496-0063 is the number to call or text the man who was the first host of Inside Sports on 630 Chet. His last day is tomorrow. He's retiring. Sid Smith will spend the hour with us after the 7 o'clock news. 630 Chet Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins. Weekdays at 6 on 630 Chet.